Christmas time, 1974. Paul Allen skims the newest issue of Popular Electronics at a newsstand in Harvard Square. On the magazine's cover is a photo of the world's first personal computer, the Altair 8800. It's a simple gray metal box trimmed in blue with rows of switches and small red lights. Allen reads the headline, World's first mini-computer kit to rival commercial models. Oh no, we can't miss out on this. Allen pays for the magazine and charges through the slush toward the dorm room of his childhood friend, 19-year-old Bill Gates, a Harvard sophomore and fellow computer savant. Allen's so good at programming, he dropped out of college back in Washington State to work for a company called Honeywell in Boston. He barges into Gates' room. Hey, Bill, this thing is happening without us. What thing? Allen hands him the magazine. Gates reads the article, rocking back and forth as he does whenever he's lost in thought. Allen paces. Gates finishes and tosses the article on the desk in front of him. The article says they don't have an operating system for the Altair yet. Right now, it's just a hunk of metal. I bet people are still buying it, though, because it's small and affordable. It's the first real home computer, man. But it's basically useless. Think of all the switches you'd have to flip to get it to perform even the simplest task. Which means there's still time for us. I know, but this is a breakthrough machine, Bill. We have to move fast. We gotta be the ones to make the first personal computer software. Hmm. I, I guess I see where you're going with this. I agree. Someone's going to make history here, and, and I know you're right. No one's going to remember who comes in second. They draft a letter to the company that produces the Altair, Micro Instrumentation Telemetry Systems, better known as MITS. Gates is right. Though the Altair is generating tremendous buzz, it's pretty much useless without an operating system. Gates takes a crack at the letter. Okay, how does this sound? Dear MITS directors, we are writing to inform you we've written the code for an operating system for the Altair. They're bluffing. Neither has coded a single line yet. But if MITS is interested, Gates and Allen will figure it out. Gates anxiously checks the mail for the next two weeks. No letter and no call. Turns out that in their excitement, they left the wrong phone number on their letterhead but they haven't figured that out yet. Gates tires of waiting. Let's call them. You're two years older. You do it. No, you do it. You're better at this kind of thing. So Gates calls and pretends to be Alan. If he can convince Mitz to give him a chance, then Alan will be the one to fly to the company headquarters in Albuquerque. At least Alan has a threadbare beard. Gates, read thin with a freckled baby face, looks like a high school sophomore. Gates gets through to MITS founder Ed Roberts. My name is Paul Allen. My team's based in Boston. We're almost finished with an operating system for the Altair, and we'd like to show it to you. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of these calls. Tell you what, the first person to walk through my door in Albuquerque with a working operating system gets the contract. How about that? Gates hangs up. He turns to Alan. We gotta get going. They code day and night. Gates pushes aside classes and homework. They have one shot at this. Failure is not an option. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. 
Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In the last episode, software designer Mark Andreessen liberated the Internet from dull lines of text with his browser Netscape, allowing users to jazz up web pages with visuals. And they responded jubilantly. The number of users and pages online explodes. Netscape won't have a monopoly for long, however. At this moment, Microsoft is barely a glimmer in the eyes of Allen and Gates. The head-to-head browser wars are still years away. But Gates and Allen have no inkling they're about to launch a trillion-dollar personal computer industry that will set a revolution in motion. And one day, a plucky startup called Netscape will be in their crosshairs. This is Episode 3, Poker Face. Gates has just hung up the phone with MIT's founder, Ed Roberts. But before they get any further... Allen points out one big problem. They don't have access to an Altair to test their code. Even if we could buy an Altair and it's $400, it wouldn't get here in time for us to beat the competition. What if we make a computer simulation of the Altair by reading the manual? Hmm. I guess that could work. Gates scrawls code in the computer programming language known as BASIC. He works as if in a trance, rocking back and forth in his seat. When something crystallizes, he jots down code on the stack of yellow legal pads, his fingers stained from felt-tip pens in a rainbow of colors. He's worked this way since he was a teenager, when Gates spent nights at the computer lab at the University of Washington. There he codes his first computer program, a version of tic-tac-toe played against a computer. Once his high school recognizes his talents for computer programming, they ask Gates to write a scheduling program, which he secretly alters to ensure he's placed in classes with, in his words, a disproportionate number of interesting girls. By the time he's 17, he starts a business with Alan, writing a code to follow traffic patterns in Seattle. And he sells his first payroll program to a company for $4,200. He's a young man in a hurry. He just doesn't know where he's going. 
At Harvard, Gates majors in applied math, but skips lectures and required courses so he can audit other classes he finds interesting. He hosts regular poker games in his dorm room, sometimes winning, but more often losing hundreds of dollars a night. In the process, though, he learns how to bluff, a skill that will come in handy later. Behind his Coke bottle glasses and baby face hides a devilishly keen mind. He dazzles friends and classmates with his vision. He tells them in the future, everyone will own a computer that will give them access to a vast universe of knowledge. Now, he and Alan spend all of their time in the gray New England winter, cooped up in the library, pounding out code for the Altair. As the sun's starting to rise one morning, Alan finds Gates asleep at the computer terminal in the middle of a line of code, his head leaning forward until his nose touches the keyboard. Bill, you're just going to wing it on your exams, aren't you? <clears throat> no time to study. We got so much to do, and we've got to squeeze our operating system into four kilobytes so it'll work on the Altair. By comparison, today's smartphones have millions of times the memory. After eight weeks, they whittled their operating system down to 3.2 kilobytes. A couple of weeks later, the two sit in the library at the school's mainframe computer about the size of a dishwasher. The winter sky outside is pitch black. It's possible another team has beaten them to the punch. But Gates is feeling hopeful. Uh-huh. That should do it. I think the code is solid. We must have forgotten something. I, I, I just don't know what. Tell me now or forever hold your peace. Oh, I'm, I'm just probably being neurotic. Probably. Gates hits a few keys and the mainframe spits out the final code on a punch tape, a strip of paper with a pattern of holes that represent commands for the computer program. Alan takes the tape gingerly, theatrically, and packs it away for his trip to Albuquerque. Alan settles into his seat on his flight. He goes over his pitch, mentally prepping himself for the demo. Suddenly, he realizes what's bothering him. They forgot to write a loader, the code that tells the computer this is software. Without it, their code for the operating system is junk, just random data. It won't work. There's no time for berating himself. Alan snaps the seat tray table down and hunches over it. On a yellow legal pad, he scribbles the loader code from memory, finishing just before the plane's wheels hit the desert tarmac. He doesn't have a way to test it. Alan will walk into the Albuquerque offices of MITS with no idea whether the program will run or not. MITS CEO Ed Roberts is waiting for Alan at the airport in his pickup truck. Welcome to Albuquerque, Paul. As Roberts drives him to a hotel, he sneaks side glances at the young Alan. He thinks, geez, I own jeans that are older than this kid. Alan is looking out the window, watching agave plants and cactuses whip by as they speed through the hills. A spine of mountains looms to the east of the city. Dust is everywhere. Alan tries to hide his fidgeting and nervousness. It's good to be here. I think you're going to like this demonstration. Well, you're the first to deliver. If you and your partner did what you said you could do, there will be a lot of happy Altair users, I'll tell you that. Not to mention a lot of happy Altair programmers. But let's save the business talk for tomorrow. How about that? 
Here's your hotel. They both get out of the pickup and head into the lobby. Wow. This sure is nice. In fact, it's the nicest hotel in town. When Alan tries to check in, he realizes he doesn't have enough money to cover the room. He turns to Ed Roberts. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Roberts, I, uh, I don't think I brought enough cash with me. Use a credit card. Well, uh, what? I, I don't have a credit card, sir. <laughs> All right, I'll cover the room. The following morning at MIT's headquarters, Roberts and Allen stop at a desk displaying the Altair 8800. The Altair is spare, and in Allen's eyes, beautiful. This is the first time he's seen one in person. He plays it cool. Yeah, this should work just fine. Allen toggles the switches, then waits ten minutes for the tape reader to load the code. Roberts doesn't know what to make of this youngster. Given he couldn't even cover one night's hotel stay, Roberts doesn't hold out much hope the code will actually work. He leans back on the next desk, arms folded, and watches Alan, who looks nervous. Alan taps some keys, and the computer makes a couple of beeps. He holds his breath. A few feet away from the Altair and connected by a cord, the teletype, a kind of electronic typewriter that processes commands from the Altair, just lies there, silent. There's an uncomfortable pause. Alan studies the front panel on the Altair computer, then toggles a few switches back and forth. Still, nothing. Roberts is losing faith by the second. Finally, Alan checks the connection on the teletype machine. He jiggles the cord, and suddenly, it clacks to life. Hey, it, it, it typed something. No one is more surprised than Alan, who gathers himself enough to yank a piece of paper coming out of the teletype machine. Alan reads from the paper. It's asking for memory size. He types an answer. The amount of memory space Gates and his program will need to run on the Altair, which is four kilobytes. The Altair responds, okay. Alan inhales sharply. He types, print two plus two, the simplest of questions. But it will test not only his and Gates' coding, but also the system's mathematical capabilities. Out spits Altair's answer from the teletype machine, four. Oh my God, it printed four. I knew it would work. It would be hard to say who is more excited at this moment, Roberts or Allen. Roberts' company was on the brink of collapse. He took it further into debt on the wild bet he could create a computer that a home hobbyist could use and afford. He banked on someone else creating the operating system. Roberts and Allen are witnesses to history being made. For the first time, a software program runs on a commercially viable home computer. Roberts brings Allen into his office and agrees to license their operating system. Roberts writes a contract that gives Gates and Allen a 10% royalty for every copy of Altair Basic that is sold with the Altair, up to a cap of $150,000. Once that threshold is reached, the version of Basic that Gates and Allen created will belong to MITS. Roberts thinks he's gotten the best of these two naïfs. Allen returns to his hotel, which doesn't seem quite so expensive anymore. He calls Gates. 
We're in business. It worked. Get the next flight out to Albuquerque. Get the next one you can. Owning the operating system will give Roberts the edge to control the market for personal computers. Roberts is ecstatic. But before long, the thrill will be gone. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. July 22, 1975, Albuquerque. Bill Gates and Paul Allen are gathered in Ed Roberts' office. They can hardly contain their excitement. They're about to sign a contract with Roberts' company to license their software, the first personal computer software ever created. Roberts goes over the terms one more time. As it states here, you'll receive royalties for each copy of Basics sold and a little money up front. And... MITS will get an exclusive worldwide license to the program for 10 years and exclusive rights to sublicense the program to others. But before he signs, Gates wants to be crystal clear about the agreement. And MITS agrees to use its best efforts to license, promote, and commercialize our program, right? Roberts nods. The deal is done. But the piece that Gates has flagged, that MITS will do its best to market their software, will come back to haunt Roberts. For now, Gates has taken a leave of absence from Harvard, and he and Allen have taken up residence at a hotel across the street from MITS. There, they mull their near future. Now, technically, we may be MITS employees, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't start our own company within the company. Then we can keep developing our version of the basic software. Yeah, but, but we need a name. Yeah, yes. Something that sounds cool but reflects what we're doing. Something that combines computers and, and software. Not just computers, microcomputers, Bill. You're right. Like uh, Microsoft. 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 That's it. Let's, let's register it. Which they do. With a hyphen between micro and soft. Eventually, they'll jettison the hyphen, and the world will recognize Microsoft as one word. Once the contract is signed, MITS bundles the basic software with its computer hardware sales. Customers who purchase the computer can buy Altair Basic for only $75. The standalone price is $500. 
For Gates and Allen, this is an early introduction to the power of bundling as a way to popularize a program. They still want to maximize profit, of course, but they learned that grabbing a hold of market share is essential to building a lasting business. After buying the Altair and Basic add-on, though, many hobbyists simply copy the software and hand it out to their friends for free. When that happens, neither MITS nor Microsoft receives a penny. Gates senses that Microsoft's revenue stream will suffer from this arrangement, so he begins licensing the operating system to other personal computer companies. Roberts, who is also suffering from pirated software disks, is incensed. He confronts the boy genius. Bill, I understand that you've been licensing BASIC out to companies other than Altair. As a matter of fact, I have. That's not part of our arrangement. We have exclusive rights. That arrangement isn't working very well for Microsoft. It seems mostly like our deal ensures that we sell fewer copies at a lower price and then those copies get passed around for free. And you know something? That's not really the model Microsoft wants to follow. Be that as it may, Bill, that's the model Microsoft is contractually obligated to follow. Um, that's a junk contract then. Microsoft isn't going to let itself be bled dry. Bill, get this straight. You and Paul are employees here. By selling off rights to our competitors, you're going to put mitts out of business. We just want to make sure we have as much flexibility as possible, Ed. Boyish looks aside, Gates can be ruthless. In 1977, the two companies go into arbitration to settle their dispute. Roberts states his case first. Bill Gates and Paul Allen are my employees, and they are selling BASIC to our competitors in violation of our contract. And I wrote the contract myself, so I should know what it says. Gates was expecting this. The contract that Mr. Roberts refers to also obligates MITS to market our software with their best efforts. Clearly, they have not done that. If they had, why have we been able to sign up so many licensees on our own? How many licenses has he lined up? Let me count them for you. Why, none. Why, you smug, pimply-faced kid. This is all a game to you, isn't it? Business, the courtroom, life... I honestly don't know if I should spank you or fire you. Gates's argument carries the day. After winning an arbitration, Gates and Allen are free to license their software to whomever they want. They move back to Seattle along with another Harvard classmate, the brash and voluble Steve Ballmer, who becomes their head of marketing. In 1981... The company licenses its operating system to run on IBM's new personal computers, which turns both companies into juggernauts. Microsoft then licenses the software to other companies as well, and the cash comes flowing in. Four years later, Microsoft releases the operating system Windows. It includes a graphical point-and-click interface that replaces the old text commands users had to type into MS-DOS, an operating system Microsoft developed for the new generation of personal computers. The following year, at the age of 31, Bill Gates becomes a billionaire. Within a decade, 
Windows catapults Microsoft into position as the world's leading personal computer software company. Power and profit follow, and when Bill Gates turns 40, he is named the richest man in the world. But the landscape is not clear for Gates. Netscape launches its browser, called The Navigator, in 1995. By this time, Microsoft has revenues of nearly $6 billion and employs 17,000 people worldwide. The company sees an opportunity. They're already in so many homes, they seem ubiquitous. What if they cut out the middleman and make the browser themselves? Who will stop them? Next time on Business Wars, Microsoft releases a competing browser to Netscape's, which leads to a showdown at Netscape's headquarters, one that Andreessen likens to a visit by Don Corleone. He half expects to find a bloody computer monitor in his bed the next morning. To combat the Microsoft threat, Netscape gets big, fast, and the digital titans go to war. From Wondering, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes, and you can just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. There's another way you can support us. Answer a short survey at Wondery.com survey, and don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations that you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Adam Pennenberg wrote this story, edited by Emily Frost. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Jenny Lauer is our producer. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery Show, Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO, just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.